If you like audiobooks or audio shows, check out a free trial of Audible. Just click the link in the description. Welcome to Mindshock True Crime. This is Bruce McGuire. And Maxwell Powers. And Johnny Mills. We are delving into the Stephen Avery case today, made famous on Making a Murderer, which was released back in 2015. This was a phenomenon, like really bringing true crime more into the mainstream, and everybody was talking about the Stephen Avery case. I actually was not into this case at the time. Uh, Johnny Mills just informed me of it. And, of course, Season 2 of Making a Murderer is coming out tomorrow on Netflix. So we are doing an overview. This is Stephen Avery, Episode 1. Maxwell, are you familiar with this case? I have no idea. All right, just real quick. So recap of the entire Stephen Avery case. Stephen Allen Avery, born July 9th, 1962. So he's a convicted murderer from Two Rivers, Wisconsin. He had been previously wrongly convicted of sexual assault and attempted murder in 1985. He served 18 years of a 32-year sentence. He was exonerated by DNA testing and released, only to be convicted in another case with murder two years after. With his nephew? Yeah. Brandon Dassey. So just a couple quick notes on the case. So there was, a, there was a whole bunch of speculation. The police had it out for him, the prosecution. They didn't give him a fair trial. They're, you know, the typical miscarriage of justice in the United States. Not a new case. DNA evidence exonerated him. And what's unique about this case is that he was convicted afterwards in another case. Some people think he was – some people actually think he was guilty of the first one too. Despite the DNA evidence. Really? Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be an extensive series, so there's so much to cover. We're just going to go over quick points here and talk about different scenarios. In his, After he was released, when he was convicted again, he was arrested for the murder of Wisconsin photographer Teresa Halbach and in 2007 was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment without possibility of parole. So here's the thing. So some people think that he may not if he if he killed her, he may not have if he hadn't already been messed up by being in prison for a crime he wasn't committed at. What do you think about that, Maxwell? About what? So you're saying like um, he went to jail wrongfully, right? He didn't have to go. He didn't actually do what he did. And you're saying that 18 years being in jail messed him up. So he possibly. That's what some people think, yeah. And some people think he's innocent of that as well because the so-called Justice Department up there and people involved, police, sheriff, they just have it in for him. And we'll get into the details of that for those who have not seen The Making a Murderer Season 1. So just going to do some quick rundowns on the case. In 2003, Avery filed a $36 million civil lawsuit against Manitowoc County, its former sheriff, and its former district attorney for wrongful conviction and imprisonment. In 2005, in November, his civil suit was still pending. 
He was arrested for the murder of Wisconsin photographer Teresa Halbach and in 2007 was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. This conviction was upheld by higher courts. Avery's 2003 exoneration promoted widespread discussion of Wisconsin's criminal justice system. The criminal justice reform bill enacted into law in 2005 implemented reforms aimed at preventing future wrongful convictions. Avery's 2007 murder trial and its associated issues are the focus of the 2015 Netflix original documentary series, Making a Murderer, which also covered the arrest and 2007 conviction of Avery's teenage nephew, Brendan Dassey. In August 2016, a federal judge overturned Dassey's conviction on the grounds that his confession had been coerced. In June 2017, Wisconsin prosecutors appealed this decision. In December 2017, a panel of seven judges of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit ruled in favor of upholding the original conviction in a split vote of 4-3, to three, ruling that the police had properly obtained Dassey's confession. How often does that happen? Confessions properly obtained? It was They captured it on camera, too, the whole thing. He, he was... Um basically interrogated and sort of forced into wrongfully making himself guilty or something right i mean we talked i think me and maxwell talked about this on a number of podcasts where confessions like a lot of confessions are coerced especially when their kids are younger like they're held for like six hours and berated and and they're so nervous and scared and the police officers kind of take advantage of their position of authority and kind of force them because they make it seem like that's going to be best for them even if it's not the truth Basically, I, they pulled him out of school. They were interrogating him, and they just basically wanted to hear what they wanted to hear, and they told yeah. him that he would just go home after he said what he should say. Yeah, lying to, <laughs> and then, oh, uh, man. man. arrested. Yeah, that's <laughs> terrible. And he was, what, 14 or whatever he was. I mean... Well, they said they overturned his conviction because the confession had been coerced hmm. in August 2016. That's crazy, and that's probably had to do with the whole series, too, the Netflix series. On February 20th, 2018, Dassey's legal team, including former U.S. Solicitor General Seth P. Waxman, filed a petition for a writ of certiorari in the United States Supreme Court. That's basically just a review of the case. They review the transcript and everything. On June 25th, 2018, certiorari was denied. Okay, so back to Stephen Avery, born in 1962, Manitowoc County, Wisconsin, and since 1965, his family operated a 40-acre salvage yard in Two Rivers, Wisconsin. So, And that's also where they lived outside of town. His mother said he went to an elementary school that was for slower kids. His lawyers mentioned in 1985 that school records showed that his IQ was 70 and that he barely functioned in school. Okay, we'll see how that plays into the case. So he did have prior convictions, March 1981. At age 18, he was convicted of burglary. Him and a friend burglarized a bar, and he served 10 months of a two-year sentence for this. He was released on probation. In 1982, two men stated that Avery suggested that they throw his cat in a bonfire, and then watched it burn until it died, and Avery had poured gasoline and oil on it. Really? I didn't. I don't remember that. I don't know if they so, talked about that's that. Crazy. They did. They did talk about it on the show. They yeah. did? Yeah. 
And he was found guilty of animal cruelty and was jailed until August 1983. He stated, I was young and stupid and hanging out with the wrong people. How old was he then? 20-something, right? So 18 to that would have been 19 to 20. It's crazy. That is crazy because that's very similar to the death of uh, the woman. And you didn't even know about that? No. Enlightening overviews here on episode one. Okay, in January 1985, Avery ran his cousin's car off to the side of the road. After she pulled over, Avery pointed a gun at her. Avery was upset that she had been spreading rumors about him masturbating on the front lawn, which he stated were not true. She later admitted to spreading these rumors and that she greatly disliked Stephen. Avery maintained that the gun was not loaded and that he was simply trying to stop her from spreading rumors about him. He was sentenced to six years for endangering safety while evincing a depraved mind and possession of a firearm. So here's his wrongful attempted murder conviction. In 1985, a woman named Penny Bernstein was brutally attacked and sexually assaulted while jogging on a Lake Michigan beach. Avery was arrested after the victim picked him from a photo lineup and later from a live lineup as well. However, Avery was 40 miles away in Green Bay shortly after the attack, and his alibi is supported by a time-stamped store receipt and 16 eyewitnesses. But he was still charged and convicted of rape and attempted murder and sentenced to 32 years in prison. So how does that work? Like, they have all the proof, the alibi, the receipt, the witnesses, and he still went to jail. (laughs) I think, I mean, I don't know what the exact argument of people who think he's guilty for that. Possibly he was speeding like a lunatic because the exact, I, I don't know how they worked out the exact time on the receipt. We'll be getting into all the nitty-gritty in the following episodes. We're just doing an overview of the whole case right now and giving our general thoughts, and then we'll examine all of the evidence in its entirety, leaving no stone unturned in typical Mindshock fashion. (laughs) That's the way Maxwell likes it. Because he's always on the ball with all the little details. (laughs) He appealed in 1987 and 1996, but his appeals were denied. In 1995, a Brown County police detective called the Manitowoc County Jail, saying that an inmate, quote, had admitted committing an assault years ago in Manitowoc County and that someone else was in jail for it, end quote. The jail officer transferred the call to Manitowoc County Detective Bureau. Deputies recalled Sheriff Co. Sorek telling them, we already have the right guy. Don't concern yourself with it. Damn, just like that? Just like that. Nobody wants truth and justice in Manitowoc. So this is like a complete setup. I mean, pretty much for everyone to like just to agree. Like, they don't care. Crazy. So they had they had an alibi. They just witnesses, store receipt. Jeez. So why no one defended him? Like. Well, people tried to defend him, but they, all their appeals were denied. I mean, I don't know. It, it's like they had. That's one of the reasons this case was did so have, popular. Because, did he have a lawyer or like public defender or what? Like, how did oh, it go? I'm sure he had a lawyer. He had lawyers. Uh, yeah, the main the, thing that people think is like they all that um, <clears throat> the city has something to go like uh, against them. They just uh, want him in jail. 
Now I saw like I saw just the first few seconds of the 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 uh, series. Maxwell is always on the ball, <laughs> watching all the series associated with the cases we cover. <laughs> but I just I just watched like the f- fifteen second and, and Avery they they own a shop or something. Is that what it was? A salvage yard. There's a bunch of cars. Okay, they so so he had yard, he yeah. had money to pay for lawyers and stuff. Uh, I don't think he had that much money. Oh, okay. I don't know the details of the lawyers. Did they go pro bono for the attention of the case? Or were they paid? I don't know those details. We're going to have to uncover that. So Avery continued to maintain his innocence in the Bernstein case. Well, another thing his family said, and they said it on the show as well, that he always owned up to everything he did, like that cat, the burglary. Like he never denied it. He never said he was innocent. So they were saying like he screws up, but he always admits it. Huh, but not so, this one. Yeah, no, this one he maintained his innocence. Both of these. Yeah. Well, we're so yeah, we're going so there. So people first. were making the connections to those things that he admitted that was really messed up. And his then, family had just said that he's he's a screw up, but he's honest. Like he does stupid things. Remember, but like he's, he's not really the brightest uh, <laughs> star in the sky. Oh jeez. <laughs> So okay. he doesn't like just from his interviews. He I didn't get the impression that he's really really stupid or anything like that. No, no, definitely not. Like he seems to be relatively function. I mean, you know, it doesn't. Mm. It seems. A, a, yeah, he seems like a nice guy actually. Like he mm. seems kind of normal mm. from my impressions. Regardless of whether that makes him innocent, you know, a lot yeah. of serial killers were nice guys too. So that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't really mean that anything in terms of guilt, but just in terms of he's not some he's not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah, yeah, yeah. backwoods guy just gotcha. doing. In, it's in just when you watch, he's not like hearing voices and stuff like that. Well, just, maybe he is. When you know. watch the show, it's like you kind of feel bad for him the way uh, it's made. Oh, really? Yeah. So in 2002, after serving 18 years. The first six concurrently on the prior endangerment and weapons conviction, the Wisconsin Innocent Project used DNA testing not available at the time of Avery's original trial to exonerate him and to demonstrate that Gregory Allen had in fact committed the crime. Allen, who bore a striking physical resemblance to Avery, had committed an assault in 1983 at the same beach where Bernstein was later attacked in 1985 and was under police surveillance in 1985 due to his history of criminal behavior against women but he was never a suspect in the Bernstein case and was not included in the photo or live lineups presented to Bernstein kind of curious why and then but. that woman which pissed me off she was like yeah that's definitely him and then after he was like all done with like he didn't do it she was like oh yeah maybe that wasn't him then i'm actually going to going to read Wait, she, i'm she's... actually going to read an article featuring her Okay, great. In a little bit Wait, to well, kind of go uh, over what that was whole she angle. A witness again. of uh, the ra- she was raped. She was the one that was assault. Oh. So she testified against she testified against Avery and picked him out of a lineup. That's messed up. And, and we'll and, go and we'll it, go into the exact we'll go into exactly how that happened and why and her thoughts on it and 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 Steve Avery's reaction to it and it's all very interesting. It's it's all very interesting. So, so messed I'm up. getting curious. Avery, I might have to watch these uh, series. Here. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Don't forget to watch the Maura Murray series. <laughs> What the mind shot? Are we going to get to episode twenty-one of the Stephen Avery case, and and Maxwell's still not going to finish the series? But Avery was released on September eleventh, two thousand three. By that time, his wife had divorced him, and he was estranged from his family. A court order had been issued limiting his contact with his children while he was incarcerated, citing physical and emotional abuse towards his wife and children. 
His wrongful conviction case attracted widespread attention. Representative Mark Gundrum, Republican chairman of the Wisconsin Assembly Judiciary Committee, impaneled a bipartisan task force to recommend improvements to the state's criminal justice system aimed at decreasing the likelihood of future wrongful convictions. Recommendations included a revamped eyewitness identification protocol and new guidelines for interrogations of suspects and witnesses and the collection and storage of material evidence. And we'll get to why that is important shortly. <laughs> I mean, th- this really is an insane case, though. Like, when, when Johnny first told me about it, I was like, okay, just another wrongful conviction case. Just another setup by the police. Happens mm-hmm. all the time. And then I started looking into it, and it was it's kind of crazy how how obvious some of it is and how out in the open it is. And it's, it's just the botching of this investigation. Like I was reading breakdowns of the case from both sides, people who think he's guilty and people who think he's innocent. And they're like, the police performed in a manner in which if he's innocent, it's completely screwed up. If he's guilty, it's completely screwed up because it didn't happen the way they said it happened. Like the whole thing is, is really mystifying so we will attempt to demystify as so much people of were as skeptical possible. in the very beginning not until on both sides well both sides because of the behavior of the police and the prosecution hmm. <laughs> it's so messed up i mean uh, we'll go into certain parallels we actually have our oj simpson series coming up <laughs> which johnny mills is actually an expert in and there's actually some parallels in in how some of the police v- behavior and investigations here Blood i mean samples. there's yeah there's parallels across many cases and there's quite a few bombshells in the oj case we have to go over as well that have not been talked about actually in typical mind shock fashion we will tackle that as well <laughs> but uh anyway so back to Stephen avery The recommendations were ultimately drafted into legislation that became known as the Avery Bill, which was passed and signed in October 2005, then renamed the Criminal Justice Reform Bill a month later after Avery was charged in the Halback case. Wait, say the name again? So this was called the Avery Bill, (laughs) which was passed and signed in October 2005. So what does that tell you about them seeing how badly they screwed up? Now here's now here's the next interesting point. They changed the name after of the bill because Avery was charged in the Howback case of murder. So what was it changed to? So they changed it to the Criminal Justice Reform Bill. <laughs> they made it a general title because they I guess they didn't want to make it seem like Avery's a good guy. But if Avery's innocent, no. But how messed up That's is this? Just funny. If Avery's Actually, guilty, it's not funny. If, That's kind of fucked up. Yeah. If Avery's if Avery's innocent of both. Now they need to make another bill, the Avery Avery bill, <laughs> because then they maybe they'll use his last name in the next. <laughs> oh man! All right, or first name. So Avery filed a civil lawsuit against Manitowoc County, its former sheriff Thomas Kuserok, and its former district attorney Dennis Vogel, seeking to recover thirty-six million dollars in damages stemming from his wrongful conviction. The suit was settled in February two thousand six for four hundred thousand dollars following his murder indictment. You know what's weird, though? Whether he committed murder later or not, what does that have to do with all the time he spent innocent in prison? They lowered how much that time is worth because of what he did afterwards? How does that make any sense? That's crazy. How many years did he go again? 18 years. 18 years for not doing it. So they said said that was only worth $400,000 because 
be, and that's what, because of his murder indictment. Now, here's the thing. If he's innocent of that as well, are they going to give him the 36 mil for the first one? And then now they have to give him even more money for the second one if they figure out that he's, that he's innocent. So it'd be very interesting to see what, what comes up on the season two oh because God. they're going to, they're, I'm sure they're going to be dropping bombshells. Gives and you we gotta, we're going to be like... covering those bombshells. So, I mean, I really hope he's innocent. And if he really is innocent, I hope he can just get out. Like, that's such, that's so messed up. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's like, God. there's a lot of people in prison that are innocent. Like, eventually, because yeah. they, they get out. Some of them, but can you imagine, but... can you imagine how many are really innocent? Because think about the overwhelming evidence they need to get someone out. Because they don't want to spend the time to do that. Yeah. Right? It's like, eh. and money. So, like, can you imagine if, if they can only get out such a small percentage of the ones that are really innocent? So, like, you know there's way more that are innocent that are in there that can never get out because they can't prove that they're innocent. Imagine spending 30 years in jail and you didn't do anything. Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's terrible. It's, it's, that's yeah, terrible. It's yeah. You ruin someone's life. Because even uh, if they get millions of dollars when they get out, like that's that's not going to make up for losing your life. Oh, uh, no, no. Like, not, not even a billion dollars can... Be would be worth 20, 30 years of your life. In I don't know. I think beforehand, if someone's going to give you $1 billion up front, I mean, it's not going to be a billion. <laughs> like jail, the, spend the, your life in jail 30 years? I'll I think five, a homeless I'll, person might take it. Three, I'll take five you know, years. I'll take five getting, years. I'll take five years for a for billion. For a bill? Yeah. For a billion? Five I, can, I can work out. I can like do sit-ups and push-ups. And, Get good food in there, too. Yeah, it's not bad. Rice and beans and steak sometimes. Steaks. On Fridays, I think they make it. Yeah, it's but like, some of, it depends like which prison, food. too, because in some of these corrupt prisons where the guards beat you up and uh, yeah, add, then they'll add Definitely. charges to your sentence that are All right, fake. put me in a good prison for a billion dollars for five years. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the, the Halback murder. Photographer Teresa Halback disappeared on October 31st. 2005 her last known appointment was a meeting with avery at his home on the grounds of avery's auto salvage to photograph his sister's minivan that he was offering for sale halback's vehicle was found partially covered in the salvage yard and bloodstains recovered from its interior matched avery's dna investigators later identified charred bone fragments found in a burn pit near avery's home at oh halback's i just remembered something from the uh, season one but i don't want to say it. it it was something to do with the blood but you'll get to it i don't want to ruin anything yeah, but so here's the thing. For the people that think he's innocent, so who dumped the car? Like, how did that work logistically with the location? We'll get to the issue. There's a whole bunch of issues with the blood and, and all that. But but in terms of the physical location of the car and then apparently the garage had been cleaned. Yeah, let's – I mean, one step at a time. Yeah. Avery was arrested and charged. So they went there immediately and then uh, – and they just arrested him. They're like, oh, you did this. <laughs> it was a few days after though, I think. So thirty first, and he was uh, he was arrested on November eleventh, February. That so many months later, October thirty first was okay. when she was last known or seen. She had a meeting with Avery, and then when was he arrested? November eleventh, he was arrested. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah. Okay, so a week and a half. Avery was arrested and charged with Halbach's murder, kidnapping, sexual assault, and mutilation of a corpse. On November 11, 2005, he had already been charged with a weapons violation as a convicted felon. Avery maintained that the murder charge was a frame-up promulgated 
to discredit his pending wrongful conviction civil case. Although Manitowoc County ceded control of the murder investigation to the neighboring Calumet County Sheriff's Department because of Avery's suit against Manitowoc County, Manitowoc Sheriff's deputy participated in repeated searches of Avery's trailer garage and property supervised by Calumet County officers. A Manitowoc deputy found the key to Halbach's vehicle in Avery's bedroom. Avery's attorney said there was a conflict of interest in the participation and suggested evidence tampering. Avery's attorneys also discovered that an evidence box containing a vial of wait, Avery's... Wait. Just before you say that, the key thing, I think they searched the house first, there was no key, and then they searched it again, then there was a key. Yeah. <laughs> key, wait, key to what? Key to her car, the van that she was taking was a photograph it, was of. Was it placed in an obvious place or like... They said it was in his bedroom. <laughs> so you're searching the area, right? You're going to do a thorough search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't find anything. So then someone then... just dropped it in the middle of the room. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. You know, that that is kind of bizarre. Oh, I wonder how, like, because he's got a $36 million lawsuit against the county, and these people that work for the county are participating. And then, yes, if even if they're being overseen by a neighboring county, like most of those people are all buddy-buddy. <laughs> so it's kind of... Yeah, uh, this it smells kind, frame this up, doesn't kind of it? Just here's that. the thing, though. Some people believe he's guilty, and they couldn't prove it, so then they just frame, or they didn't even want to bother proving it because they were just like, "Oh, well, let's just make it easy and tamper the evidence and plant the evidence and convict him because we know he did it." <laughs> I mean, that's still not how you really do it, though, because he's still entitled to a fair trial. So you have to prove it the right way, not just because you think he did it. Yeah, but yeah, it does seem like it's a frame. They're trying to frame But, and important to note, just because it's a frame-up doesn't mean he didn't do it. The whole thing's That's just a frame-up. Yeah, yeah, and we don't know, yeah, so we yeah. have to... I'm not yeah. saying he did it yeah, or he didn't yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't know, so we have to we have to dig deep yes. and, and figure it out. So Avery's attorneys also discovered that an evidence box containing a vial of Avery's blood collected in 1996 during his appeal efforts in the Bernstein case had been unsealed and a puncture hole was visible in the stopper. What do you think about that, Johnny? Puncture hole. What, what do you mean by the stopper? What, what do you mean? In the top of the vial. So oh, okay, they took it. a blood sample in 1996 yeah, yeah, yeah. from him. Yeah. And then they realized during this, you know, what this investigate yeah, during yeah. this new investigation. Yeah. It was tampered with uh -huh. his blood sample, and there was a tiny little <laughs> hole in it, <laughs> like as if a needle went in, right? Because <laughs> there was there was a blood, his blood in her car, right? Yes. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so the weird thing is, I don't know if they're going to talk about it, like when you store blood for long periods of time, you have to put this uh, chemical in yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to get into okay. that next. Oh. So okay. they speculated, so these are Avery's attorneys, they speculated that the blood found in Halbach's car could have been drawn from the stored vial and planted in the vehicle to incriminate Avery. But, FBI technicians tested the blood recovered from Halbach's car for EDTA, a preservative used in blood vials but not present in the human body, and found none. They didn't find it. No. no? Avery's okay. defense team presented expert witness testimony stating that it was not possible to tell if the negative result meant that the EDTA was not present or the test itself was inconclusive so I wonder, there's i wonder if it could be extracted from the blood 
somehow. Yeah, it's we. We're, I mean, you know, obviously we're gonna we're gonna have to have a dedicated technical podcast on that to discuss the the testing methods because that's that's a quick thing for for naysayers or they always say, oh well, if the test proved this, then it proved that. But how accurate is the test? Mm-hmm. Like, is every test ever done completely infallible with one hundred percent accuracy? And who did like, the test exactly? And and were the results of the test tampered with? Because if the test is legit. And then someone just changed a couple things on the report of the test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we know any of but this? But still, it's weird as hell that there's a needle hole <laughs> in the blood sample. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, the, okay, we, me and Max, I think we talked about this on other podcasts as well. Maxwell and I discussed it. Like, DNA testing itself is not infallible. Hmm. So, like, New York State uh, either passed or was thinking about passing a law that stated that just a DNA match doesn't mean you're guilty because the DNA testing technology itself is not what everybody says it is. Hmm. So just another thing to consider. Nothing's 100%. So, okay, so the prosecution, as of May 2006, Avery was the only innocent project inmate out of 174 nationwide to be charged with a violent crime. In March 2006, Avery's nephew, Brendan Dassey, was charged as an accessory in the Halbach case after after he confessed under interrogation to helping his uncle kill Halbach and dispose of the body. He later recanted his confession, claiming it had been coerced and refused to testify to his involvement at Avery's trial. Dassey was convicted of murder, rape, and mutilation of the corpse in a separate trial. In pretrial hearings in January 2007, charges of kidnapping and sexual assault were dropped. Avery stood trial in Calumet County in March 2007 with Calumet District Attorney Ken Kratz leading the prosecution and Manitowoc County Circuit Court Judge Patrick Willis presiding. Isn't that a conflict of interest as well? On March 18th, Avery was found guilty of first-degree murder and illegal possession of a firearm and acquitted on the corpse mutilation charge. Six weeks later, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without possibility of parole on the murder conviction, plus five years on the weapons charge to run concurrently. After serving five years at the Wisconsin Secure Program Facility in Boscobel, Avery was transferred in 2002 to Waupen Correctional Institution in Waupen. Wait, so life in prison plus five years for gun I think it's a concurrently. Okay. Concurrent means running at the same time, right? Yeah. So... In January 2016, after Making a Murderer had been released on Netflix, People Magazine reported that one of Avery's trial jurors was the father of a Manitowoc County Sheriff's deputy, and another juror's wife was a clerk with Manitowoc County. Now, whoa. Isn't he entitled to a trial by his peers? People that work... (laughs) <laughs> for the county that is c- accused of framing him are not his peers. <laughs> Man, what a botch job of an investigation <laughs> and a trial. Huh. <laughs> Juror Richard Maller, who was excused from the trial after the jury had begun deliberations due to a family emergency, later commented that early on, seven of the jurors had voted not guilty. He was mystified that the jury eventually agreed on a guilty verdict. 
Maller's account has been disputed by other jury members saying no early vote took place and an informal vote was taken where only three jury members felt Avery was not guilty. Another juror allegedly told the filmmakers of Making a Murder of feeling intimidated into returning a guilty verdict, fearing for personal safety. The filmmakers' claims have also been disputed. I mean, these are like mob-like tactics where you're like, oh, you t like intimidating the jurors if this is true. Here's the thing. If that one juror said they all voted not guilty. How many jurors are there again? I honestly don't know. Do you know how many? It's 12 usually. 12? Yeah. yeah. So s originally it was 12 people said not guilty. Uh, seven. Uh, seven people said yeah. not guilty. So that means not guilty, right? Majority, yeah. Majority vote. But then you're saying... Yeah, but... Uh, hmm? No? Is I that how they, it works? I thought, I thought they always had to... Yeah, they had to all agree, yeah. yeah. But no, but oh, in, just okay. in terms of the majority, uh, the oh, majority okay. of the jurors thought he, he was not uh, guilty. Hmm. But then it changed to like three or something. So here's the thing, though. If that's true, and then the, but the other jurors were intimidated later into returning guilty, what oh, do you expect them to shit. say about it? Of course they're going to say it's not true that they all thought not guilty. Like, because yeah, if that's the yeah, truth, yeah, if that's the yeah, truth, yeah, so what does that mean? That doesn't mean a lot. Wait, who so who said that it was it was seven, uh, not guilty? Maller, who who he was actually one of the jurors. Well, he was excused from the trial after the jury had begun because of a family emergency, and he made these comments later. The other oh, jurors shit. disputed his comments, but if his comments uh, are of course, true, of course, of course yeah, they yeah, would, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's. Ah, this is kind of weird. <laughs> I would think if, if what he said was true, wouldn't they be more likely to stay silent? I mean, I don't know. I mean, if, if what he said was not true, because you're yeah. not supposed to talk about it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could talk about it early. after the fact. Yeah, but he but... was excused early, so like he he had no... Probably people just forgot about him. I don't know. I don't know. So <laughs> appeals. In August 2011, a state appeals court denied Avery's petition for a new trial. And in 2013, the Wisconsin Supreme Court denied a motion to review the ruling. In January 2016, Chicago attorney Kathleen Zellner, in collaboration with the Midwest Innocence Project, filed a new appeal citing violation of Avery's due process rights and accusing officials of gathering evidence from properties beyond the scope of their search warrant. In December 2015, Dassey's defense attorneys filed a writ of habeas corpus in federal district court for release or retrial, citing constitutional rights violations due to ineffective assistance of counsel and the coerced confession. In August 2016, Dassey's conviction was overturned by federal magistrate William E. Duffin, who ruled that his confession was involuntary. Duffin granted a defense petition for Dassey's release on November 14th, but an appeals court overturned his ruling on November 17th, ordering that Dassey remain incarcerating pending resolution of the state's appeal of the habeas decision. In June 2017, the 7th Circuit upheld the magistrate's decision to overturn Dassey's conviction, leaving the state with the options of appealing Duffin's ruling to the Supreme Court, dismissing the charges, or retrying him. On August 26, 2016, Kathleen Zellner, counsel for Stephen Avery, filed a motion for post-conviction scientific testing with the clerk of the circuit court, Manitowoc County, Wisconsin. Judge Angela Sutkiewicz signed stipulation and order for the scientific testing to proceed on November 23, 2016. On June 7, 2017, Zellner filed a 1,272-page 
post-conviction motion citing ineffective assistance of counsel, Brady violation, and affidavits by experts debunking the manner in which Teresa Halbach was killed, including new evidence and prosecutorial ethical violations by Calumet County DA Ken Kratz, Zellner claims Stephen Avery's conviction was based on planted evidence and false testimony and is requesting a new trial in the interests of justice. On October 3rd, 2017, Avery's motion for a new trial was denied. Hmm. So, I mean, there was a lot of uh, criticism of these of these officials in court because some of them some of them have already been convicted of ethics violations, like actually convicted of ethics violations. Wow. And they're still presiding over these cases it's pretty strange all right so going over the petitions on december 20th 2015 a petition was created at petitions.whitehouse.gov titled investigate and pardon the averys in wisconsin and punish the corrupt officials who railroaded these innocent men in a january 26th response to the petition a white house spokesperson said that since avery and dassey are both state prisoners the president cannot pardon them a pardon in this case would need to be issued at the state level by appropriate authorities. A spokesperson for Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker stated that Walker has no plans to consider pardoning Avery. A second petition titled Initiate a Federal Investigation of the Sheriff's Offices of Manitowoc County and Calumet County, Wisconsin was submitted to petitions whitehouse.gov on January 7th, 2016. The petition was archived because it did not, did not meet the minimum signature requirements. What do you got, Johnny? Yeah, the latest thing, uh, headlines, Brandon Dassey of making a murder won't have a case heard by Supreme Court. What the heck? So they, they overturned the conviction, but they're just leaving him in forever? That's real messed That's up. That's weird. Uh, all right, let's go over the media coverage on this case. So the media coverage was kind of big. On March 26, 2013, the radio, the public radio program Radio Lab aired an episode titled Are You Sure?, which featured a 24-minute segment entitled Reasonable Doubt. It explored the story of Stephen Avery from the perspective of Penny Bernstein, the woman he was wrongfully convicted of sexually assaulting in 1985. On December 18, 2015, Netflix released Making a Murderer, a 10-episode original documentary series which explores Avery's and Dassey's investigations and trials. The documentary examines allegations of police and prosecutorial misconduct, evidence tampering, and witness coercion. The series was widely reviewed and discussed in the media. It generated numerous follow-up interviews and articles with parties shown in the documentary, including family members and some reporters of the trials. Part 2 of the documentary is set to begin airing on Netflix on October 19, 2018. So, yeah, this is pretty bizarre. So that's the general timeline. And, again, these cases, this is nothing really new. I mean, stuff like this has always been happening. But I like how this just puts it on the map so more people kind of know that this kind of stuff happens. Yeah. Because you might watch it. You know, so many people have access to Netflix nowadays. Or, you know what I mean? So it's a big platform that people like to watch. And they'll just sit through and watch. Like, Are people the whole like thing. see a lot? Of, there's a certain percentage of people. I, I don't know the exact percentage. It's, it's quite big that just will blindly defend all police and judges and the justice system, no matter what. So they just yeah. completely write off any of this stuff, mm-hmm. and they won't even without think, even looking. Yeah, yeah. They'll just say, "Oh, well, it's up to the justice system to investigate it." So if there's yeah. a problem, that's up to them. But that's the law, and everybody has to follow it, and everybody has to go through this, and so. 
it's kind of like uh, this is a good reminder for people that you know there's there are criminals everywhere, including yeah, in the police until it happens and to judges. Them. Yeah. Well, some of them are so like I've actually read accounts online of people who have gotten like uh, not false arrest, but uh, they gotten tickets and they went through this process and they were blamed and they were and they still defend the system. They were like, well, it's better uh, to do this than let someone who was guilty go free. So like, there's people out there that think it's better to convict innocent people than it is to make the system more lax to let guilty people off. Huh. That's so weird. Uh, it is. They're definitely living. They don't really know what uh, America's about I mean, if that's yeah. what they think. But huh. that's crazy. Yeah, there's quite a few indoctrinated into authority sheep out there. Sheeple. Yeah. All right. So just so once again, let's just do a super quick rundown of all the main points of the Avery case. So the lawsuit in 1985. Avery was convicted of assaulting a woman named Penny Bjornsson after she identified him as her attacker. DNA evidence later exonerated him, and he was released from prison after 18 years of incarceration. Upon his release, Avery filed a $36 million lawsuit against Manitowoc County, and an investigation was launched into his original arrest and trial. He ended up settling for $400,000. The Disappearance On November 3, 2005, 25-year-old photographer Teresa Halbeck was reported missing. Investigators discovered that the last person to see her alive was Stephen Avery when she visited his property to take pictures of one of his vehicles for Auto Trader magazine. He was accused and found guilty of a murder despite his claims of innocence. The car. Halbach's car was found on Avery's property by members of a volunteer search party. The license plates were found in another car on the property. And Stephen Avery's DNA was found in multiple places in it. The key, Lieutenant James Lank and Sergeant Andrew Colburn were the ones to find Teresa Halbach's car key in Stephen Avery's trailer on the sixth search of Avery's residence. The sixth search? So that was five searches where they didn't find it. I thought it was just one search. Oh, it's even worse than you imagined. The sixth (laughs) search. Six times the charm. They both volunteered to search his residence despite the fact that they were not allowed on Avery's property without supervision due to their involvement in his lawsuit against Manitowoc County. The key had none of Teresa's DNA on it, only Avery's. The officer who was supposed to be serving as the watchdog for their search team was not instructed to supervise them. So they didn't even have supervision. So I guess it's possible we condemned this their supervisors so if they, they might be not they might not be in on it i guess but they failed to they, they weren't being supervised so yeah that's there's definitely a problem there with that evidence so the confession brendan dassey stephen avery's 16 year old nephew confessed to helping his uncle murder Teresa Halbach after hours of interrogation. His confession was not included in Avery's trial because his story was inconsistent and key pieces of evidence were fed to him by interrogators, like the fact that Teresa Halbach's cause of death was a gunshot to the head. Dassey was also convicted of Halbach's murder, though his lawyers have repeatedly tried to get the verdict overturned, arguing that his confession was coerced. You know what else is messed up? Trying people as adults that aren't adults. Like, you can't, I mean, I never understood that. Like, if you're not an adult, why would you be tried as an adult? Like, you can do the worst crimes ever, but you're not an adult. 
So hmm. why would you be tried as an adult? What's the difference though if you're underage? Do you know? If you get tried, I think you just a... go through well, like there's some more psychiatric help or something. There's more huh? no. Or, there's more uh, penalties, and you're and you can go into an actual prison. But so less... what does tried as an adult mean? You could go to life at, uh, in prison. Is that what that yeah. means? So you're tried exactly as an adult, as opposed to as a minor, under different rules. What's uh, do you know the sentence for a minor? For well, it depends. Oh, it depends, depends on, on obviously it depends on what yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. If you stole something, it's a smaller sense. If you killed somebody, but but yeah, the no. tried as an adult means you can have an adult. There's no real limit to any yeah, of it. Yeah. Hmm. So here's the main difference legally: once a juvenile offender is transferred to an adult court and tried there, he or she faces the same penalties as adults, including the death penalty or life without parole. They receive little or no education, mental health treatment, or rehabilitative programming. So these are usually in the case of serious or violent offenses. So obviously as a juvenile, they're still interested in you know helping the kid and not ruining their whole life. As an adult, they don't really care. So it's kind of messed up. So anyway, so the bones, female teeth and bone fragments were found in a fire pit on Avery's property. Experts found evidence of skull fragments from a bullet wound. Similar bone fragments were found in a second location at the quarry almost a mile away, indicating that some bone fragments may have been moved. The defense used this as evidence that Teresa Halbach's body was burned in a secondary location and the remains were planted on Stephen Avery's property. The bullet. A bullet was found in Avery's garage with Teresa Halbach's DNA on it four months after he was arrested. Those DNA results were technically considered inconclusive because the analyst contaminated the sample with her own DNA. That same analyst had written a note describing a call she had with lead investigator Tom Fassbender, the same guy who allegedly coerced Dassey's confession, where she was instructed to put her in his garage with her findings. Lieutenant Lank was once again present when the bullet was found. <laughs> this is so shady. Like Wait, they found the bullet four months after the invest like after he was after arrested, him. yes. But they found the key in his the apartment or his uh trailer, like literally the day day one, right? On the sixth search, I don't have a date here. It was close, I think. I don't yeah. a few weeks maybe, I don't know. A few days. But seriously, how do you find a bullet like four months later? Like, aren't you gonna well, the most suspicious thing for me is the the fire pit. That's what I was talking about. And they found about. similar bone fragments a mile away. Like that's kind of weird because if her car is at his lot, uh, at his salvage yard, and she never left the salvage yard, like how would any of this work? It's weird. It's definitely weird. All right, let's go to the voicemails. Teresa Halbach's family said her voicemail was full when she went missing, but experts say the amount of voicemail found on her phone would not use up enough capacity to fill it. Her brother claimed to listen to her voicemails but not delete any, and her ex-boyfriend and roommate also had access to her cell phone account via an internet login. Yeah, there was something weird about those two. Yeah, there's quite a few suspects in this. And what I'm, I find the strangest part of all this is just the, all the strangest with the police. Hmm. Like if it's a frame up and like 
so they don't care. So do they know who really did it and they're covering for them? Or do they not care about that at all and they just want to get Stephen Avery? I think it's more like that. But you think it's more like that? That's what it seems like. Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to... Kind of like dig- the first one, right? They didn't care. They just wanted him in jail. <laughs> sort of. Well, supposedly he did look like the other guy. So that's... Yeah. Well, the, then the other thing that doesn't make sense about that one, they had that other guy under police surveillance. Yeah. It's, it's just weird. And, and then he, he had that suspicion that uh, somebody's there to just... Uh, that's out for him and just wants him in jail. Avery? Yeah. Yeah. So... Okay, so the dispatch call. Sergeant Andrew Colburn called in the plates of Teresa Halbach's missing RAV4, RAV4, to a dispatch operator before it was found on Avery's project, even offering up the year and make of the vehicle on the recorded call. He gave no reason for why he called in the plates on the recording, and during questioning, he could not remember why or when he'd made the call. (laughs) Maxwell, what do you think of this? (laughs) <laughs> so before so he 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 called that those plates in right and that car before it was found on avery's property before it was found yeah. on avery's yeah so he gave was, no reason why he called in the plates <laughs> so what would that mean he saw the car somewhere maybe it was parked randomly or well he couldn't recall mm-hmm. he couldn't remember we, there is no reason cited <laughs> hmm yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to think, like, how, what that would mean. Like, I'm trying to remember the whole case. I guess we could kind of fig- um, have some theories after we know everything, right? Yeah. So let's look at the missing DNA. Except for the single bullet found in his garage, Teresa Halbach's DNA was not found anywhere on Avery's property. Avery's lawyers took great issue with this fact, given the confession from Ben Dassey that she was tied to his bed and sexually assaulted her throat slit and shot in the head all on Avery's property, which would have left an incredible amount of DNA behind. So they only found Stephen Avery's DNA at the scene, but they never found her DNA. Besides her skull and, like, bone fragments. They said they found his uh, DNA in her car. And that as well. In multiple spots in her car. But not her DNA. Anywhere. That's... Hmm. (laughs) Maxwell? Uh, No comment. (laughs) All right. So the blood. The defense claimed that Avery's blood in Teresa Halbach's car was planted and that they used a vial of Stephen Avery's blood from his 1985 case file to support that theory. When Avery's lawyers looked into the condition of that sample, they found the red tape that sealed the box housing. The still liquid blood had been cut and replaced with scotch tape and a small hole had been made in the top of the tube's cap. They used this evidence to speculate that an officer had used a syringe to extract Avery's blood and plant it in the RAV4. All right, here's the thing. Is there a test that can determine the age of the subject of the blood sample? Because if they if they planted his blood from this many years ago... Mm-hmm. Old blood. Yeah, because like- if he committed the crime, it would be his current blood. Is there? I'm thinking there's got to be a way... That, that that preservative EDTA whatever probably screws with it though. But they That's said something. it wasn't in it. I know. Hmm. That's true. That then that, that, that gave me the thought of I wonder if there's a way to extract it. I don't know. So what are your thoughts on this case, Maxwell? Uh it's it's interesting. 
<laughs> Do you think there could have been another way they could have got his blood? Besides from that vial? Like, I don't know. While he's in jail. Maybe. But then why would there be a hole in the vial? <laughs> Maybe they tried that and then realized, like, oh, it's going to have the EDTA in it. Ah. We can't do mm. that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maxwell? Uh, what are your thoughts on this case? Do you have a theory? Guilty? Innocent? No. Police conspiracy? Uh, well, I, I don't know enough. Um, but, well, we just, but we it's just, just shady. Yeah, yeah. We well, yeah, it's real, it's real shady. I don't know. Um, that bonfire where they uh, he supposedly burned up the, cat. the woman. Oh, the cat. <laughs> that was like kind of similar with the, the whole cat. cat thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of weird. Huh. But you said that somebody found out that the body was possibly burned somewhere else and then brought to his They were property? also similar, yeah, bone fragments one mile away. That's weird. Yeah. That that might stand out as one of the weirdest things. Huh. And it comes from the same person, the bone fragments? Supposedly. Similar. Can we trust any of these <laughs> tests anyway? Like, you know? Yeah, I'm like pretty excited to see what's going to happen in season two, though. If there's any new, they have definitive evidence that the police. How many? How many episodes was the first? Uh... Ten episodes. So it's got to be another ten, probably. Probably yeah. ten, yeah. Unless they have less info, I don't know. Yeah. I know they worked on the first season for a while, like a long time. Huh. What was it? Like ten years? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I know it was a while though. It's cool how it was covered though, because they had footage of everything. Like when he was released from jail, they wow. like spliced that in. They have like court hearings and yeah. him in jail. I, I see the clip of like the not the clip the uh the thumbnail for the for the show a new one with yeah well no yeah I don't know uh, the the kid's face and then his prison face like, oh yeah, yeah it, it looks yeah. crazy yeah 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 so that's the main overview overview that's the main overview <laughs> of the Stephen Avery <laughs> that's case that's what it could be called the Avery oh view. I like that one. the Avery <laughs> So just initial impressions, there's definitely some really strange stuff going on with the police, the investigation, all of it. And then it's not like it's it's difficult because Stephen Avery isn't exactly like a 100 percent law abiding citizen (laughs) because, you know, he's got his priors that he admitted to. And so and there's also a lot of missing information here, obviously, like relationships between people. Uh, who would want to do what and why, and we're going to have to dig into all of this. So we'll be back. Are we going to do this as two. intense as the Maura Murray? The Maura Murray, we actually, it never started out being that intense. I don't think there was even an episode two planned. We were just going over stuff, and then we realized how many missing pieces there were, so we had to just keep going. So we just keep going until we unturn every stone, go over all the information. We'll be doing this for all of our case series. So if you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. You can check out our social media sites, Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, and our Patreon. And don't forget to subscribe and like this video. And we will catch you guys next time. This is Bruce McGuire signing off. I'm Axel